South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, has a massive problem. It's former South African president and his long-standing political rival, Jacob Zuma. It's funny, it's been a little over a week since Halloween, and when I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking, if Ramaphosa wanted to dress up as the scariest thing in his life, it would probably be Jacob Zuma. Because this political rivalry is absolutely going to influence the 2024 national government elections, where, remember, it really may be the first time in history that the ANC drops below 50% of the vote nationally. That means that in 2024, we really might be staring down the barrel of either the African National Congress having to rule in coalition with a smaller party to get over 50% of the vote, or the ANC not being in power. And how Jacob Zuma behaves and how President Ramaphosa responds to that behavior really might be the difference between the ANC breaking 50% of the vote or dropping below it for the first time ever. So I really am not overstating my case here when I say that this feud between Ramaphosa and Zuma has the potential to influence the short to medium term future of South Africa. So welcome to the issue with Ramaphosa and Zuma, the feud that has defined modern South African political history. And this, of course, is the issue with Dan Corder. Thanks so much for joining us again, where we remind you that South Africa is a movie. Why not come watch it with us? All episodes come out once a week in podcast and also video form across on YouTube. And before we dig into this massive story, a quick request once again to just click the follow button wherever you are streaming this. It really makes a massive difference as we try to keep the lights on and build this project together. Right. Let's get into the issue with Ramaphosa and Zuma. So where does this all start? It starts with Jacob Zuma becoming president of the ANC and then South Africa many years ago now. And the way that he did that is he managed to attract many, many Zulu voters from KwaZulu-Natal to vote for the African National Congress for the first time. Historically, Zulu voters had voted for the IFP, which is the Inkata Freedom Party. They were for a long time and still pretty much are a Zulu nationalist party from KZN. But Jacob Zuma is an iconic Zulu man from KwaZulu-Natal and a very powerful, compelling leader. And so he managed to convert many, many thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of IFP voters to ANC voters. And that was a massive reason for his enormous political power a little over a decade ago. Remember, Zuma was winning over 60% of the national vote, and so much of that power came from his support base of Zulu people in KwaZulu-Natal. But then the scandals started to rack up, and eventually his position became untenable, and that's when he was deposed by a faction led by his own deputy president, Cyril Ramaphosa. So Zuma was removed as president of the African National Congress, which also means removed as president of the country of South Africa. And then just after that, in an ANC elective conference, which would decide who would become the new ANC president, Ramaphosa and his faction won over Zuma's and his faction's pick for his own succession plan, his ex-wife and Kosazana Dlamini Zuma. And after that, Cyril Ramaphosa became president of South Africa for the first time. 
And that started the rivalry that has come to define the ANC. Between Zuma's allies, their faction, commonly known as the RET, the Radical Economic Transformation Faction, and Ramaphosa's faction. And there's been an epic struggle for power. Because, sure, Ramaphosa won the position of ANC president at that elective conference after Zuma was deposed. But many of Zuma's allies won key positions in incredibly high levels of power, even on the ANC's highest decision-making body, the National Executive Committee, the NEC. And that set in motion a battle between Zuma's supporters and Ramaphosa's for ultimate power over the most powerful political organization in South Africa. At the same time, ex-President Zuma was suddenly facing a ton of different legal cases and charges. He was pinned as being in, at the center of the state capture disaster that was exposed by the state capture inquiry. He also had long-standing legal battles to fight, including a more than a decade-long corruption trial that he was facing. And so immediately, the narrative started to be developed and espoused in South Africa that Ramaphosa was using his power over the government, his power as the head of state, to direct South Africa's legal bodies to go after Zuma to wipe out his political rivals once and for all. That was the narrative that was built by Ramaphosa's foes, whether true or not. And Ramaphosa threw fuel on the fire also. He famously or infamously said that Zuma's presidency had been nine wasted years. He was essentially saying that South Africa had stagnated and even gone backwards during that time. But there was real nervousness around Ramaphosa's camp in the year or so after he came to power because Zuma was coming closer to all of these court dates and there was a real fear that Zuma would implicate Ramaphosa in a lot of the allegations against his name, particularly the corruption allegations around when Zuma was president because Ramaphosa was obviously his deputy at the time and there were assumptions that Zuma might have dirt on the new president or at least might try to intertwine their fates together by making it seem as though any accusation against Zuma was an accusation against him and Ramaphosa together, the team of president and deputy president. Then, in November 2020, South Africa's special investigating unit, the Hawks, revealed that they had an arrest warrant out for Secretary General of the ANC, Ace Makhashule. Now, Secretary General is just one of the most powerful jobs you can have in the whole country, and Ace Makhashule, therefore, was very powerful within the ANC. He was also an R.E.T. Zuma faction disciple. Under Ramaphosa, the ANC had tried to set in place principles whereby if ANC members were under credible clouds of legal jeopardy where it looked like they could have done something wrong and there were court cases hanging over their heads, they would be asked to step aside. And although that never really came together as anything clear or defining, in Mahashula's case, it became very real. And in May 2021, he was temporarily suspended as Secretary General of the ANC. Ace Makhashule had consistently challenged Ramaphosa, and so this was seen as a massive win for Ramaphosa's camp. Now again, depending on who you're listening to, you could either see that, the suspension of Ace, as a victory for Ramaphosa in his fight against corruption in South Africa and his own party, or you could see it as a man with the powers of the state taking out another enemy. And then, soon after that, a shocking, traumatizing thing happened in South Africa, to South Africa. It was so shocking that it went around the world. It was an international headline. Essentially, 
Jacob Zuma had been squabbling with the legal system in South Africa and eventually was found guilty of contempt of court, which has a jail sentence attached to it, and he was given 15 months in jail. He took this uh, on appeal, and then in early July 2023, in the Peter Maritzburg High Court, that ruling was upheld and Zuma was ordered to hand himself over to the authorities and go to jail for 15 months. And at exactly the same time, on the 9th of July, starting 9th of July 2021, and running for 10 days, the province of KwaZulu-Natal fell apart. There were riots across the province. There was looting of businesses across the province. There were running battles between people and police everywhere. More than 350 people died. There was massive damage to property, awful damage to local economies. Many businesses went under because of the damage from all of this devastation. And it started at exactly the same time as the order for Jacob Zuma to go to jail. Now, it's been two years since the July unrest in KwaZulu-Natal. And although everybody is pretty clear and understanding of the fact that there were malicious high-level powers at play who, and to be clear, there's been no evidence shown in a court of law that Zuma himself made or gave orders, that Zuma was knowledgeable of or implicated in orders to cause unrest. But what was very undeniable is that there was an orchestrated, calculated attempt to cause disarray across KwaZulu-Natal because Zuma was being sent to jail. And it's almost certain that we will never see those people who made those decisions in a court of law. There are lots of theories about why, but two years later, only low-ranking people involved in those riots have been arrested or faced their day in court. And it sent a very clear message. It said, do not mess with Zuma because if you do, this is what will happen. Very clear and loud message. Jacob Zuma was ultimately released from jail just two months into his sentence on an extremely sus, dodgy medical parole organized by one of his longtime allies, Arthur Fraser. And then, just a few months later, in November 2021, there was the local government elections, where for the first time in history, the ANC came in under 50% of the vote. It had never happened, ever, ever, ever. From the first time in 1994, that the ANC were allowed to compete in a democratic election. And, in particular, the ANC got slammed in KwaZulu-Natal. All over the place, they lost voters. To the Encarta Freedom Party, remember, the party that held most of the Zulu vote before Zuma ascended to power in the African National Congress, but also to, like, the EFF in some places. They even lost an area to the DA, Umgeni, And maybe most embarrassingly, the ANC lost the famous municipality of Etiquini in KZN. And straight after that, the mudslinging began. Zuma's faction, the RET folks, laid all the blame at the feet of Ramaphosa. They said that this disaster was all his fault. And they swore to hold him accountable because they said that when a political leader fails so dramatically, 
there needs to be consequences within the party. They swore that they would do everything they could to boot him out at first opportunity. But the Ramaphosa camp clapped straight back and said that actually, the reason why KZN had gone so badly for them is that many Zulu leaders who were RET-associated leaders or Zuma allies had not campaigned, had deliberately underused resources and not gone out onto the trail to knock on doors to get people to vote for them. And essentially, they'd purposefully sabotaged the ANC in order to punish Cyril Ramaphosa. So you can decide who you believe between those two viewpoints. What is interesting is even at the time, Ramaphosa's approval ratings were way higher than the African National Congress. He, he is still the most electable, most popular political entity in South Africa. More people in all research say that they would vote for him than any other politician or any political party. So a common view of the ANC at the moment is that their popularity is staggeringly low. After years and years of corruption, scandal, mismanagement, terrible leadership, terrible governance, but it's actually Ramaphosa holding them up. But in the wake of this local elections disaster, the narrative that the RET faction tried to build was, this is Ramaphosa's failing, not the ANC's failing. And so all this pressure started to ramp up on Ramaphosa and the ANC in the build-up to the 2022 elective conference. This was the next moment where Ramaphosa would have to win a re-election bid within the African National Congress to hold on to being ANC president. And there was more and more hype and speculation about how strong is the radical economic transformation faction really? Would they be able to put forward a credible candidate who could unseat Ramaphosa and his faction? And in the end, they went with another person who they could build a narrative of Ramaphosa slighting them around. It's William Kieser, the former health minister who was a famous and adored health minister in the early days of COVID-19 in South Africa because he was seen as doing a particularly good job. But then Digital Vibes and Aware Consulting, Google if you don't know, but it's an extraordinary story where essentially he was forced to resign under very serious allegations of corruption and mismanagement of hundreds of millions of rands of funds that were supposed to go to aiding the relief effort and combating COVID-19, helping vulnerable South Africans. So Zwilliam Kise had not been found guilty of anything, and so he was the latest slighted man who RET chose to get behind, and they tried to get him elected as the new ANC president to depose Ramaphosa. And it got even crazier, because on the eve of that elective conference, Jacob Zuma opened a personal, direct, private prosecution at Cyril Ramaphosa, directly. So Zuma, in one of his long-standing corruption trials, has accused a man involved in the trial, Billy Downer, of misconduct and claimed that Downer has been trying to take him out since the get-go. And so Zuma said that he went and directly appealed to Ramaphosa to deal with Downer and Ramaphosa did not do so. And that was the basis for this private direct prosecution that Zuma launched against Ramaphosa on the eve of this massive elective conference. One of the theories is that it was a desperate attempt to take out Ramaphosa because maybe then the argument would go, oh, but Ramaphosa has been championing that in the ANC, if you are under an investigation or a credible court case exists and stands against you, then you need to step aside and remove yourself from leadership duties in the ANC, and maybe that could cause Ramaphosa to not run for re-election as ANC president. But All of that was rebuffed. 
by the African National Congress, or the vast majority of it, because it was a direct prosecution that happened on the eve of the conference. Long story short, Ramaphosa won overwhelmingly in a dominant victory, and many of his disciples, his allies, also won key positions in a rout of the radical economic transformation faction at that elective conference. It was seen as a real moment of flexing of muscle and Ramaphosa proving that he had won this wrestling match for the soul of power within the ANC. And Cyril's faction argued that the timing of Zuma's private prosecution did have an ulterior motive in and around the conference. They were quite open about that. But the response from others, because this is a back and forth battle of narratives, is that Cyril was trying to vilify Zuma at every opportunity. Okay, 2023. Zuma's private prosecution of Ramaphosa failed. It was thrown out by the High Court of Johannesburg. It was ruled that the prosecution was invalid and unconstitutional. And the High Court was so dismissive and kind of annoyed by, I guess, the audacity of Zuma's very sketchy attempt to run a legal argument here that they ordered Zuma to pay Ramaphosa's legal costs and that of the two councils, essentially foot the bill for, in the court's view, kind of wasting everybody's time. At just the same time, in July 2023, more than 16 trucks were set alight in KwaZulu-Natal over a few days. And fears started to rise that this was deliberately coinciding with the unrest of 2021 in July and was trying to make another statement, send another message. And one of Jacob Zuma's children, Duduzile Zuma Sambudla, actually tweeted support of the truck torchings. She said that the torchings were keeping the spirit that led to the July riots alive, whatever that was supposed to mean. But there was something else going on, because in July 2023, everybody was looking nervously towards early August 2023. But something else was happening in July 2023. The whole country was looking nervously at early August when the Peter Maritzburg High Court would make a ruling on whether or not former President Zuma had to go back to jail to see out his term for contempt of court. Because remember, he'd been released after just two months on a medical parole that the court found to be nonsense, unjustified. And he still had 13 months of his 15-month sentence to see out. And so... In early August 2023, as the nation waited with bated breath, Jacob Zuma was ordered to go back to jail and see out his term. And on the morning of the 11th of August 2023, Jacob Zuma arrived at escort prison to have the paperwork done to put him back in jail. And extraordinarily, just less than two hours later, Jacob Zuma walked free, released. This was one of the most insane moments in modern South African history. Here's what happened. Zuma was put back into jail and then released two hours later, maximum two hours later, on remission. So remission is something that happens where the presidency can decide that they are going to release a ton of non-violence, non-threatening, deemed not dangerous prisoners early in order to try and achieve some greater good for the country. And in this case, as Justice Minister Ronald Lamola clarified later, or claimed to clarify later, he said that the presidency had decided to release over 9,000 prisoners through remission because prisons in South Africa were overcrowded and it would be better for the prison system and therefore for South Africa 
to release all of these 9,000 plus non-violent, non-dangerous criminals early to wipe away the rest of their terms. Hella convenient, hella perfect, hella sus to then be able to release Jacob Zuma. A real stretch for many South Africans to consider him a non-violent person. Sure, he's an old man, he's not throwing punches himself, but a non-dangerous person after July 2021. Anyway, extraordinarily, Zuma was released. Then later, like an hour maybe later, Justice Minister Lamola comes out and explains this remission thing that nobody had heard of. Nobody had heard of. It hadn't gone through Parliament. It hadn't been discussed. There had been no sign or inkling that this would ever happen. It just suddenly did happen. But it was unbelievably suspicious because Minister Lamola claimed that more than 9,000 South Africans were being released on remission. But he couldn't name any other South African besides Zuma being released on remission. And nobody else of those alleged 9,500 South Africans were being released on remission that morning or had already been released. Only Zuma had. Just ex-president Jacob Zuma. And to most South Africans watching, this was a clear moment of Ramaphosa, because he's the only one, the power of the presidency is the only power to be able to order remissions. He had made a choice. And the choice was to placate Zuma, keep him out of jail. Now, that choice might well have averted another crisis, another horrible uprising, widespread damage and death in Guzulu Natal and beyond the country. It really might have done that. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he did it. But the other reason could well be that Ramaphosa realized that even though his faction had decisively won the key positions to control the ANC, over the radical economic transformation faction led by Jacob Zuma. Ramaphosa's ANC was still under great threat from Zuma and Zuma's allies because the next national election is predicted to be so close and so full of jeopardy for the ANC. And for Ramaphosa, the prospect of losing hundreds of thousands, millions of votes in KwaZulu-Natal because Zuma and his allies, from Ramaphosa's perspective, could undercut him and sabotage the ANC, as his faction claims they did in 2021 local government elections. That threat was so massive that Ramaphosa decided that the best thing to do would be to keep Zuma out of jail. And this crazy dance between the two of them continued just earlier this week because we discovered that Zuma's legal bills had been paid for years now, tens and tens of millions of rands, by the state. And the Supreme Court of Appeal ruled that the state had to immediately stop paying for Zuma's legal trial bills. But more than that, the Supreme Court of Appeal ordered the state to go and recover 32 million rands worth of money that the SCA ruled should never have been given to Zuma's legal team in the first place. So the SCA ruled that the state has to go back and get more than 30 million rand from Zuma and his allies. And now there are allegations flying around that the presidency secretly ordered the state attorney to not try and recover those funds. And if that is true, it's the latest case of Ramaphosa doing everything he can to placate Zuma so that Zuma and co. do not flip KZN against the ANC in the 2024 elections. And remember, KZN has so many voters, it's such a big deal 
that if KZN abandons the ANC next year, that will spell disaster for Ramaphosa's African National Congress. So that's the issue with the feud between Ramaphosa and Zuma and how it really might decide the short to medium term future of South Africa. And this is the issue with Dan Corder. Thank you so much for listening. As always, would love it if you contacted us and let us know what you thought of this episode on all of our social media platforms. Also go check out the video version of this episode across on YouTube if you want to see that version of the show. And one more time, please, if you could give us a quick follow, a like, maybe even a share. It would be such a treat because all of that helps us continue to build this project of getting the news and analysis that we want to see in South Africa to South Africa. See you next week for the latest episode of The Issue with Dan Corder.